This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 14, Taking Liberty. Last week, we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger as uh, Juliet was in a standoff with a new NPC, but we'd like to announce this week that that character is actually a player character and will be played by Seth Lilly, who is returning to the series and the mic with his very cool character, Pops Mulligan. You may recall Seth from series one, he played Krethlin, or series three, where he played Nashikali Hasha, or in the more recent series seven, where he played Goodbrand Strandvella. In this series, Seth's character has the educated history and follows the path of the preacher. His advancement triggers are... You perform last rites for someone who has died. A religious text is referenced for guidance. A non-believer is convinced to follow a tenet of your faith. And you share a parable from your faith that is relevant to the situation. And of course, with every new character, we have some amazing art by the talented Lillian Dermeyer. We will be releasing that today, just shortly after the episode airs. So it's quite possible that it's out there right now. Jump on our Facebook or our Instagram or our website, EssentialNPCs.com, to check out Pops' art. It's amazing. Seth's character, Pops, is a triptych preacher, which is one of the largest religions on Manifest. So I thought we would talk about that in Words with a GM. So without further ado, let's move on in to Words with a GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with a GM is about Series 9, Episode 13, Pride and Prowess. So, Tommy, why don't you give us a little bit more info on uh, the religions of Manifest and then also the triptych faith? Well, like Addie said, the triptych faith is, in fact, the most prominent religion on Manifest. This religion is built around the tales of a traveler named Alana, thought to be one of the first people to set foot on Manifest. These stories describe a journey in which Alana learns and grows, questioning her assumptions and perspective, becoming in the end the model of humanity perfected. The triptych faith believes that all living things in creation are made up of three components, instinct, knowledge, and righteousness. These three aspects of life form the triptych triangle, which serves as sort of a map of all life. Animals and beasts exist far into the bottom left corner where instinct sits. Humanity tends to occupy the top where knowledge resides, and deities and gods exist in the bottom right corner where righteousness is. Alana herself is considered to be placed just a little above the middle of the triangle's vertical axis, but dead center in the horizontal axis. Within Alana, one can find an even blend of instinct and righteousness tempered by logic and common sense. This is why the symbol for the triptych faith is a triangle containing essentially a capital T in it. That position on the map is where those who follow the triptych faith aim to live their lives. The tales of Alana, told over three tomes known as the Verities, actually depict her making a multitude of mistakes through her travels. 
She absorbs the lessons learned from these mistakes and continues to perfect herself. She learns the problems of reacting to life on instinct alone, as well as the flaw behind acting purely on the strong emotions of righteous indignation. Over the course of these texts, she develops the ability to temper her flaws with rational thought, while being sure to avoid detaching from them fully and acting purely on cold, unfeeling logic. One of the most interesting things about the triptych faith is that it accepts the notion that gods and deities of all shapes and sizes and powers are real. Alana herself encounters many of them in her travels. Because of this, triptych followers are openly welcoming to all other religious beliefs, listening to the morals and lessons of different faiths in order to better understand life. Triptych places of worship are also known as multi-denominational churches. I think we briefly saw the one in Waypoint, adorned with icons and symbols of various religions. Preachers of all faiths utilize multi-denominational churches to cultivate a flock and share their beliefs. In fact, it's strange to find a church on Manifest that doesn't cater to at least two religions. So pervasive is the notion founded by the triptych faith that there's truth to be learned from all religions. Triptych preachers are split into three types. Ministers, doctors, and undertakers. Triptych ministers deal with the questions of divinity and morality that revolve around the verity of righteousness. Ministers are the more traditional style of preacher. They give sermons and provide spiritual guidance to their followers. Triptych doctors are preachers that concern themselves more with the verity of logic. They help bring new lives into this world and see to the physical well-being of their followers. And triptych undertakers use the lessons from the verity of instinct to tend to the expired members of a triptych congregation, because all living things share two universal instincts. One is to live, and the other is to die. The path of the preacher is an iconic one, so it felt important to a frontier-based setting to have some sort of pervasive religion people could turn to when times are difficult. And there are more faiths on Manifest than just the triptych faith. It just so happens to be the most prominent of them, serving as almost a facilitator for people to share their thoughts and beliefs with one another in a constructive and mutually beneficial way. That isn't to say Manifest is entirely without closed-minded zealotry. There are religious cults who reject all other faiths, often violently so. Should players encounter such cultists, the most triptych approach would be to try to open their minds and bring them out of the shadows. But let's be honest, more often than not, you'll be rolling initiative. We've even seen at least one cult on the podcast when you guys encountered the proto-martyrs. And the nice thing that I've found about Manifest is that you can... Uh, as a player, choose to have a strong belief system in whatever feels good to you or choose to believe in no faith and instead have faith in science or yourself. But I think that's enough about the faiths of Manifest. Uh, I want to know what your favorite part was. I think my favorite part had to be the sheriff's office of Glen Spire. <laughs> I liked the idea that specifically within the factory towns, the sheriff's office detach a little bit from the traditional Western trope of like just a person in a desk with a couple cells. Like I liked the idea of there being some bureaucracy and when that was really strange and foreign to Clayton and Juliet, it amused me. <laughs> and then, of course, I liked how much chaos ensued in the sheriff's office after Roy made his daring escape. Oh, I can't believe that. All that work <laughs> to get him there. And then he just, I feel like it was his plan all along. <laughs> what about you? What was your favorite part? My favorite part was actually something I thought was really clever um, that Nick did as Giles during the duel. He deployed his hand and then it never really came up and I was like oh that's weird he'll have to pick that up later and then uh 
it's like he anticipated something uh, wouldn't be on the up and up with Anastasia. And he was right. And that sort of like prescience uh, and then acting on it was super cool to me. When we were playing, I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to shoot this person. And I didn't have to. And I got to put my guns away for two whole sessions. And it was pretty great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when Nick mentioned, oh, no, my my hand has crawled up on her shoulder and has the knife to her throat. I thought for a moment of some kind of role that I could do to see if he could pull that off. And then I was just I was too in love with the with the image and the idea to put it up to chance. So I just let him have that one without a role because it was it was so clever. <laughs> but for Juliet and Clayton, Glenn Spire is long in the past. They are now in Liberty City at the address given to them by Pepe Dantoro. Pointing a gun at who we now know is Pops Mulligan, Seth Lilly's character, who will be introducing himself in today's character introductions. So don't skip over them. Listen to Pops' intro and learn a little bit more about him. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 14, Taking Liberty. Enjoy. Greetings. I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is Sugar, my Ache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bounty can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Shug are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Shug are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody gonna try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. You can call me Pops. Pops Mulligan. I see you're eyeing the preacher's garb. I'll tell you, this trench coat's seen me through more decades than I'd care to admit. I'll never forget the day they put it on me when I graduated seminary. My mother, saint that she was, sent me there to get educated. She spent nearly every spur she had, earned each one by the sweat of her brow cutting ice for Liberty City's well-to-do. I always figured I'd inherit the family business, but when I lost this finger to frostbite, she told me, Elliam, I don't want you working with those hands ever again. You're going to become a preacher. Good triptych woman, my mother. She'd have tanned my hide if she'd lived to see me become an undertaker. Still, there's something balanced about working with your hands and your mind in tandem. Helping those near to death pass over, laying them to rest with seeds from the tree of life, and tending to them as their spirit makes the air just a little bit easier to breathe. I've been undertaking in Liberty City since, oh, back before the Battle of Waypoint. Back then I was still a husband and a father. My son grew up to be an executive in the business sector. I never really did understand his job exactly. Buried him just a couple of years back. I aimed to make the man who put him in the ground hurt. I'm rambling, I can tell. <laughs> the trademark of being an old man, he just never seemed to be able to keep quiet. Alana's blessings to your friend. 
My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. The last time we left Juliet and Clayton, they had arrived in Liberty City, following an address given to them by Pepe Dantoro. This address was supposed to be where Juliet could find her husband, Cyrus Finch. Instead, they found someone rummaging around in Cyrus's van, a van Juliet recognized. And when they approached, they saw what looked like a triptych preacher rummaging around before finding a secret panel in the floor and removing the gun case that houses Juliet's best shooting irons. Juliet leveled a firearm at the preacher and threatened to shoot him down should he not put the gun case down at that very moment. So, Pops, you're rummaging around Cyrus's van. Uh, you can't find this gun case that you're supposed to be collecting. Uh, and then finally, you, you figure out where the secret compartment is. Uh, and you pop it open, you pull out the gun case, and you hear a gun click behind you. And a voice speak out. Now, Padre, I ain't one to typically unload my weapon at a religious leader, but uh, if you don't put that gun case down and turn around oh so very slowly, I will, in fact, end you. What do you do? I freeze immediately. And I respond, uh, well, I uh, would certainly appreciate you sticking to your convictions as uh, I am not quite ready to be ended myself. And very gently, I will put the gun case on the ground and slowly turn around to regard the person who has just threatened to murder me. Uh, this preacher turns around. He is a large old man. He's, uh, he's almost 70 years old, surely. He's got a portly build, uh, thinning gray hair combed over to one side, dark brown skin. Um, you also notice that he is well-armed. He's got a pistol on his hip that has multiple rotating barrels and mounted on his shoulder, turning with his head as he moves his head, is what looks like possibly a laser. And uh, 
purposefully I'm going to avoid eye contact so that you can clearly see that the laser is not pointed at you, but I do give you a quick glance over. And uh, as he fully turns around, you notice one thing, uh, Juliet, his uh, triptych patch on his the sl- shoulder of his sleeve has an emblem of an intertwined tree of life, which you know to be the symbol of the triptych church's undertakers. I assume you might know the owner of these guns? I am, in fact, the owner of these guns. And uh, I'm going to ask you to move on aside so I can... Uh... Just uh, go ahead and take him. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Pops will take two steps backwards and say, uh, I thought you'd look different. You are uh, Mrs. Juliet Hunt, is that correct? Mid-reaching for the box, I, I pause. Now, how would you know that name? Well, you were uh, described to me much differently, but uh, the owner of this van uh, told me that you might be coming for these guns here. Sorry, Padre. You do you know where he is? I I most certainly uh, do know where he is now. Um, I'd be willing to take you to him. Just uh, I might have a little bit of news for you before I do so. Uh, I'll I'll break tradition just for now and say, uh, uh, Mister Cyrus Finch has been waiting for you. Did he convince you to do some sort of subterfuge, Padre? <laughs> Because uh, I would really like just to go straight to him. And I, uh, if, if that's all right with you, I uh, pick up the gun case and uh, and I, I take out my best guns and I uh, holster them. Seeing as the Padre don't seem a threat at the moment. Clayton, you uh, see as Juliet opens this case and pulls out two immaculate six shooters finely crafted, beautifully cleaned. Uh, They have a slight glowing design inlaid into them, which marks them as true hard caliber pistols, the luminescent laced firearms of a true gunslinger. Damn, Juliet. Well, uh, Pops isn't quite sure if he can trust this person since she does not at all match the description, and she's here with a strange person who I, I have not been introduced to and have no idea uh, who this person could be. So uh, I'll say, well, in that case, I suppose there's no time to waste if you'll uh, follow me. And I keep my hands above my head, and I lead her to the hearse, which is parked around back. You guys follow uh, this father uh, who takes you around the back of this warehouse uh, and turning in the corner, your heart sinks, Juliet, as he appears to be leading you towards uh, a short roofed wagon with curtained windows that are currently open and you see a coffin laying inside the wagon. Uh, The wagon is pulled by two automaton uh, mechanical horses that stand cold and stiff in the the afternoon light. I'm very sorry to have to tell you this, but um, you'll find Mr. Cyrus Finch in there in that coffin. Juliet's face gets uh, very hard, like she's gritting her teeth. And uh, her hands uh, instinctually move to rest on her guns. What happened? Mr. Finch was taken prisoner by a a group I I believe you're familiar with, the family. Uh, He was working for Peter O'Malley and uh, forced to make some kind of compound. I don't know the details of which... But uh, the lab in which she was imprisoned filled with a toxic gas, and he was not able to make it out in time. I'm sorry, Juliet. 
And can I uh, can I see if her grief is legitimate? Yeah, if you want to try to get a read on her. Um, well, Juliet, uh, are you you're not trying to hide it at all, right? That ain't in my purview at this moment. Yeah, no. Then you don't need to roll. Uh, <laughs> uh, looking at her, you see uh, like her face doesn't match due to the digi disguise she's wearing, mm-hmm. but everything else about her lines up like that stony look those gritted teeth and the the way that her hands moved right to her guns and this kind of cold resolve like emanating off of her that all matches the description of Juliet Hunt that you were given it's just the face is wrong right but uh uh you can definitely tell that she has been greatly affected by this revelation well mrs hunt and uh i'm sorry mr name's clayton clayton sawyer mr sawyer if you will trust me. You never know what kind of ears are out here and in this area. I am uh, on a bit of a timeline here. If you'd come with me quickly, I might be able to explain uh, a little bit more of the situation. I look at Juliet. Uh, we we uh, just need to grab Veronique and uh, Will. Uh, yes, the van. Clayton, do you uh, do you feel like you could... Uh... Drive it. He wouldn't want anybody else to drive it, but uh, I don't feel so much. Uh, I feel like maybe I should. I understand. I can drive. Uh, so, Clayton, you start making your way towards the van Juliet referred to as Veronique. And uh, Pops, you see uh, on the road coming down into the uh, into the lot nearby this warehouse, a horse and a big red Ache. Oh, it looks like we might be in for a little wildlife trouble. Oh, you mean sugar? She's no trouble at all. She's the biggest sweetheart you've ever made. Mr. Sawyer, are you telling me that you tamed a, a creature like that? <laughs> he doesn't need to answer as uh, as Sugar walks up to him and like nuzzles up against him and he scratches behind her ear. And then she looks to you uh, and like lets out like a huff. Pops is a little bit intimidated, but very, very impressed and... Uh, he holds his hand out just gently and says, uh, Miss Sugar, pleased to meet you. Well, go on, Sug. The Ache takes one step forward, stretching out her head and smells your hand for a couple sniffs and then gives your, uh, your fingers a big, wet, sloppy lick. <laughs> pleased to meet you, too. Meanwhile, uh, Juliet, they've walked off to secure the van and the mounts. You're standing there outside this hearse. Those two automaton horses standing lifeless in front of it. I will walk over and uh, climb in the back of the of the wagon. You have to crouch a little bit as you as you climb in. Um, but it is, there is enough room around the hearse uh, with a couple stools built into the corner of the of the wagon. Uh, uh, and there's a relatively plain looking coffin in the center. I will uh put my hand out on the on the lid of the coffin and uh open it up. Inside, hands together on his chest, eyes closed, pale is the dead body of your husband, Cyrus Finch. His hair still dyed green, neatly combed. He's dressed in a somewhat audacious dress suit. Uh, with an ascot, um, way beyond his his standing, but uh, it's him, as lifeless as those horses outside. I'll turn off my digi disguise and uh, 
reach out and touch his face. And his skin is icy cold. And an involuntary tear just uh, sort of happens. And, uh, and I say, you stupid, stupid man. You promised you were never going to leave again. See, this, this is what happens when you do. And now you got to, I guess, come home one more time. <sighs> what were you doing? Damn it. And uh, I'll lean over. And I'll kiss his forehead and, you know, fix his hair just a little bit and close the casket, get out of the the wagon and uh, fix my face, turn the digi-disguise back on and say, all right, let's go. We've got to get him out of here and then I got some business to come back to. The weight of your of your hard caliber pistols very, very prominently on your hips. Pops will return from the van and say, well, Mrs. Hunt, and uh, climbs into the front seat of the hearse, makes sure that Veronique is behind us. Uh, as soon as you pick up the reins, uh, the automaton horses come online, uh, and they uh, kind of stamp their feet and orient themselves and get ready for uh, for your command. Would you like to join me up here, or would you prefer your own mount, Mrs. Hunt? No, I, I think I'll uh, stay back here. It's probably just better. And I'll uh, actually climb in the back and uh, close all the curtains. All right. And uh, Clayton, you're uh, at the wheel of Veronique. Uh, she is uh, climbing inside this van. Uh, you see it's it hasn't been used in a while, but uh, uh, looking in the back, you can see it's been modified. Uh, the, or the back half of the van has been modified into what looks like almost like a mini laboratory. It's got uh, a bunch of uh, vials uh, strapped onto walls, a bunch of beakers, a little station with like a burner. And uh, it's been rummaged a bit with Pops kind of looking around. That central panel is still, is still like open, but uh, it looks very lived in. At least once upon a time. I'm going to nervously close that center cabinet and sit down and think out loud to myself, this can't be very safe. <laughs> and uh, with Pops taking the lead with his hearse and the van behind and Sadie and Sugar kind of trotting side by side behind the uh, van, you guys our little funeral procession making your way through Liberty City towards the nearest exterior gate. Uh, it's, you know, a little slow moving. People have to, like, get out of the way, but everyone sees the hearse and they pull to the side. They let you guys through the crowds of the city parting in honor of your grief. Pops has a, a flipped a switch in the front seat and there's a tinny funeral dirge coming out from some speakers uh, on the bottom. And uh, after what seems like a very slow, long journey to the edge of Liberty City, you see uh, the walls, a guardhouse, and a large iron gate that is currently closed. And as you, uh, as you approach it, Pops, two militiamen come out of the guardhouse and they kind of wait for you to stop. Mm. I do so. Uh, howdy, Father. Can we see your papers, please? Uh, of course, gentlemen. And I... Uh... 
pull the papers that I assume I have from my from an inner pocket in my coat. One of them reaches up, looks at it, and he kind of shows it to the other one, and they exchange like a glance, and then um, they fold up the paper and hand it back to you, and then uh, the guard who just handed it back to you like leans in and says something to the other one really quietly. He nods, and uh, one of the guards stays with you while the other one goes back into the guardhouse. Uh, is there any way uh, to hear what they're saying at all? It was far too quiet of a whisper for you to have heard it inside the hearse, um, especially with the funeral dirge playing. Uh, and the guard who stayed outside uh, turns to you, pops, and he goes, there's just been an issue with the gate. We're hoping to get things sorted soon. You just uh, you just stay put here, Father. Yes, sir. And I uh, stay put. Uh, I go ahead and slide a, a small panel meant for communication between the, the morning and the driver. Uh, just so uh, Mrs. Hunt has a little bit better handle on the situation, and I say, we're stopped outside the gate. Who should I say you are? Uh, his sister? I suspect something along the lines of your assistant. My assistant. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very good. Uh, so the the guard uh, continues to stand there. He kind of glances back towards Clayton, kind of seeming to size you up a little bit, Clayton. And then uh, also uh, taking a moment to glance towards the Ache and the horse behind you. They're with me. <laughs> he like looks at you and doesn't give you like a verbal response, but just kind of like nods slightly to himself. And then uh, Juliet, you see as the door to the gatehouse opens up and two more militiamen kind of walk out and uh, one kind of like casually leans against the gate and the, uh, the other kind of walks up standing to the right of the hearse, you now have a militiaman uh, on the left, the right, and directly in front of the hearse. All of which are armed with uh, with standard militia uh, rifles. Uh, they have their little flat armored caps uh, and their uniforms. Um, one of them doesn't seem exactly comfortable in his uniform. He's the one who's leaning against the gate. It's uh, a little untucked at the belt. And he uh, he doesn't have a rifle. You see, he's got uh, a couple pistols slung up on his on his uh, hips. This is the one that's standing directly in front of us. Yep, gentlemen. They uh, they kind of look to you a little bit, not really making eye contact. And the guard who's standing nearest to you goes, "Any minute now, we'll have this gate sorted out, sir." If at all possible, the Jolly Heart Carnival will be leaving Tanner's Gulch. Uh, Oh, I don't know when, but any moment, I'd like to get there before they do. Don't worry, Father. We'll take care of you. Hey, Father, is this uh, normal? I I was always under the impression that uh, undertakers sort of just got to go on their way. Is that not true? It's been true up until this point. Can I see if I can discern um, if the gate really is broken, either by, like, looking at it or perhaps... Noting the intention of these gentlemen. Uh, yeah, uh, if you want to try and discern whether or not the gate is actually under maintenance, you can roll machinery uh, to try and look for any signs of uh, what might be wrong with it. Um, if you want to uh, be kind of just soaking in the scene and seeing if there's any anything else going on you might be missing, that'd be an observe test. And if you want to try and get a read on these three guards who have positioned themselves around you, you can roll discipline, or uh, because you specifically have the talent playing the player, you can roll manipulate instead of discipline. I am highly suspicious of just about everything in this city, so I, I think I am going to be suspicious of these gentlemen that are stopping us, potentially for no reason. How strong is this gate? 
the gate is heavily fortified. You you're pretty sure that uh, even sugar would have trouble bursting it down. Um, it's it's designed to uh, you know keep things in and keep things out. It actually doesn't have a, a seam in the center. Um, it doesn't open like that. It lifts up. Uh, you can see up on the uh, on the little like ramparts to the uh, wall. There's uh, a heavy weight on a chain uh, that, when lowered, um, uh, lifts the gate up to allow people to move underneath it. And Juliet, what did you get and what did you roll? I have a nine high for manipulate. So uh, you're kind of scanning these these three militiamen. The, the one who's directly across from you, he seems calm enough, um, if a little unorthodox for a, a member of the militia. Uh, the one on the left uh, is standing kind of stoically, like you've seen many a militiamen just kind of waiting for orders, it would seem, or, or just doing his duty. Um, he looks pretty calm. Uh, but the one to the right who, who has kind of gotten in that position, he's just kind of shuffling uncomfortably. He keeps glancing back towards the one that's leaning against the gate and back towards the guardhouse. And uh, he he looks like a little bit nervous. He's, you know, breathing just slightly heavily. You you can see his pulse actually like in, in his uh, neck kind of going a little fast. He's not holding his rifle casually over his shoulder. He's got like his hand kind of tapping nearby the trigger. You know what? That's good enough for me. I'm going to open these doors and climb right on top of the the wagon here uh, and draw my guns. And I say, before anybody gets too twitchy, I would like to know, does anybody uh, have an opinion or thoughts on whether or not they'd like to die for Mr. O'Malley? Yeah, so the the doors to the hearse burst open, and in a flash, Juliet swings up on top of the on top of the hearse, drawing out her hard caliber pistols. And um, Juliet, go ahead and roll a challenge test for me. Oh hell, Juliet! And I grab my rifle. <laughs> <laughs> Ten high. Uh, I have a seven high. Okay, that is three net hits as I am the aggressor. Okay, uh, so you say that, and uh, as if viewing the scene in slow motion, you uh, see that the the guards on the left and the right kind of take a, a, a step back. The one uh, who has his hands on the rifle, like you see them tighten, but it doesn't look like he's gonna uh, gonna take a shot. But the man standing directly across from the hearse, leaning up against the gate, you see his uh, eyes kind of uh, narrow as he begins reaching for one of his pistols, and he is going to uh, not concede and uh, attempt to uh, engage you in a, a in a quick draw. So, uh, did you want to enter normal combat, or did you want to do a quick draw with this guy? Oh, I would very much like to quick draw this gentleman uh, who seems very keen to die. All right, go ahead and roll quick draw because you got three net hits on your challenge. Uh, you get a plus two to this. And also don't forget that at the end of the previous episode, uh, Clayton rolled well enough on live to infuse you with luminescence for a long lasting effect. So you have, you still have that bonus to your finesse skills. The number you are attempting to beat is an eight. <laughs> And I have a showdown expert, which means that I can re-roll uh, successes that are, are low should I choose to, as long as I have reliability. Yeah, and you have even more reliability with these very fine shooting irons you have retrieved. My highest is a 16. That's five net hits. So that is uh, 55 damage. <laughs> no piercing. <laughs> no piercing. <laughs> 
so Juliet jumps up, says this, and then a mere one or two seconds pass. And right as the guy who's leaning on the uh, gate begins to reach for his gun, like he just like makes one motion, like leaning up off the gate to like steady his stance. Juliet puts a bullet in between his eyes. Now you see the man who's dead in this wagon. He's the one who would typically stop me from shooting all of you. So who wants to open the gate right now so we can go on our way? Uh, no time for that. And uh, immediately Pops is going to take a uh, take a shot at the at the chain just just in case they decide to start shooting. Um, so that he's he's going to take a shot with his shoulder mounted laser at the chain that is holding up the weight. Uh, for the gate. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead and roll a ranged weapon attack with that. Jesus, Father, you too? <laughs> All right, so that is uh, four net hits. Yeah, you look up, and as you do, your little shoulder-mounted laser looks up with you, and using the device you're wearing uh, on your temple, you think the command, and the laser fires, and it carves a red line through that chain, uh, dropping that weight down, and the gate goes flying up. Uh, the guards on either side of the wagon begin falling back and, and shouldering their we weapons. You see other guards that were lying in wait up in the ramparts, jumping, uh, popping up to uh, get a shot on you. And the gatehouse opens up as more guards who apparently were taking some time to arm themselves uh, come rushing out. Uh, and I need everyone to roll initiative. I got an eight. Uh, that's a five for Pops. Five for Clayton. Okay, uh, so you have two guards on either side of the hearse, three guards coming out of the gatehouse, and four guards up on the ramparts. And the gate leading out of Liberty City has swung upwards, uh, and the, uh, the open garden lies on the other side of that wall. Juliet, you go first. At a, at a quick glance, who has the, the most threatening of uh, irons? All of these men and women are armed with standard militiamen rifles. I will shoot the two on either side of me. Okay. Uh, my highest is a 17 for the first shot. That's against an 11 high. Uh, okay, that's five net hits. I can only count three of them, so that is 24 damage. Uh, not missing a beat after the gate opens, uh, Juliet swings her left arm out and pulls the trigger, shooting down the guard standing to the left. Her hard caliber shot rings out, and the supercharged bullet cuts right through his armor into his heart, and he drops down instantly dead. And your second shot? My high is a 13. It's against an 11 again. Great. I have three net hits. That's all I can count. That is 24 damage. <laughs> and the second shot rings out almost simultaneously, taking down the guard on the right uh, now all three guards that were right around the hearse are dropped dead with three clean shots from Juliet's hard caliber pistols. Great. I would like to spend four grit to double down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will shoot uh, the person closest to the wagon. Okay. That is the one in the front of the three who are coming out of the guardhouse now. Weapons drawn. I have a nine high. So, uh, seeing you aiming at him, that, uh, that guard jukes to the left, just barely missing the bullet as it zips by his ear. Uh, and I will take my 
outstretched arm and I will bring it right down towards him and I will shoot that man again. You're up against 11 high again. Okay, great. That is six net hits, but I can only count three uh, with my high of a 17. So that is 24 damage. So uh, you you missed with the one with the left hand. Your right arm swings around, both guns pointed forward. You pull the right trigger and you track his movement as he's moving to the side and you shoot him straight through the heart. He spins around and falls down on the ground. Much obliged, Padre. If uh, you want to giddy up, that might not be such a terrible idea. Uh, right you are there. Uh, as you say that, Juliet, the guards who have positioned themselves up in the ramparts of the wall uh, fire down on you and Pops, the two guards that are remaining on the ground, uh, are going to shoot at you. Uh, so, Juliet, I'm going to need you to roll four defense tests, and Pops, I'm going to need you to roll two. Uh, all right, Juliet, what was your highest against the first attack? Uh, 17. Okay, that one misses. As you still feel that warm energy in the core of your uh, of your body, of that luminescence, and it's like it moves before you can think to move or see the threat, and you drop down uh, without even really fully assessing what you're doing, and the shots ring overhead. Uh, the next one? 15. Uh, that one also shoots wide, uh, uh, skirting around uh, the hearse. Uh, if the horses at the front of the hearse were uh, were not automatons, they might like rear up at the uh, at how close those bullets were. Next one. Twelve. All right. Uh, now dropping down on the hearse and rolling to the side and kind of hanging off of it, bullets pelt into the top of the hearse, uh, digging into the reinforced wooden roof, uh, just barely missing you. And the final attack. A 14. Uh, and then you pull yourself back up on top of the hearse, standing where you were before. Those, the final uh, shots raking off to the side of the hearse where you were just hanging. And Pops, uh, what was your defense against your first attack? Uh, first attack, uh, high of 13. Uh, so as Juliet is uh, dropping and rolling and, and uh, flipping around on the back of the uh, hearse, you, Pops, look to your left and you see these two guards who are still standing there level their rifles and aim at you. And instinctually, you uh, reach back and pull uh, out from under your coat a thing that kind of almost looks like a, a small scepter. And when you press a button on it, uh, your shield forms out from the from the top of this scepter, folding back around to the bottom of it and hooking on. Uh, and you hold your reinforced pyrithium shield out in front of you uh, and the bullets ricochet off of it. Uh, and your second defense test? It's a high of 14. And you uh, pull the shield in, co completely covering your body with it as the second round of fire uh, ricochets off, bouncing around, clipping one of the ears off of your automaton horses. Ah, blinky. <laughs> <laughs> and Pops Mulligan, it is your turn. Uh, I will uh, immediately gee on my automaton horses and say to the dead body we're about to roll over, uh, safe passage for your soul. I think that'll just be my turn. I'm trying to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, go ahead and uh, you can roll a drive test to adjust your speed up from, from its lowest value. One net hit. Okay, you can move your speed value up once. You said you wanted to spend your whole turn getting out, so you could also uh, uh, you could do it a second time because it's just a quick action to adjust your speed. Yeah, sure, and I'll, I'll do that one more time. Uh, the second one was no net hit, so... Uh, I guess I'll, I'll whip the reins and the automaton horses are 
little slow to getting going, and I whip them again. And they're not quite responsive. I guess Blinky can't hear me without one ear missing. <laughs> um, well, uh, you can spend any number of free actions continuing to adjust your speed. It will just damage the horses a bit. But uh, these automaton horses provided to you by the Triptic Church do have fortified engines, uh, so they will take less damage if you want to get to top speed. Yeah, sure. I'll whip them along. I, can't you see we're in a situation here, boys? Let's, let's move it on a little bit. Uh, so yeah, you, you pull, uh, you, after whipping the reins a couple times, you pull and they finally get the command and they, uh, kick off pulling the hearse. Uh, Juliet drops down to one knee, grabbing, uh, grabbing the front of the, uh, the wagon, uh, as you lurch forward and run over, uh, the dead, uh, the dead man with the two pistols, giving, uh, giving him last rites as you do. Yeah. And I, uh, like a conductor, draw a triangle in the air as we pass over him. Clayton. It is your turn. Clayton sighs. Well, she paid me real well, and I guess by this point she's my friend. Reckon <laughs> I'm an outlaw now. And I'm going <laughs> to lean out the window and shoot all the three guards on the ramparts. They have moderate cover up there, uh, so you will be at a minus two to hit them. High 15. All right. So two of them got 11, and the uh, and the third got an 8. So how much damage? That is three net hits on all of them. 21 damage, one piercing. Uh, so you uh, lean out the window of Veronique and uh, pull up your rifle, and you let out a, a long burst sweeping along the ramparts and hitting three of the four guards up there, knocking them back, hitting them hard, you're not quite sure you got a kill shot on any of them, but you definitely hit them like in the center mass and they go flying back, uh, blood shooting up, shouting out. And uh, I'm assuming you slam your feet on the, uh, the accelerator of the car. That is correct. Let's go, Shug. Take one with you. <laughs> yeah, you can roll an attack for Sugar. She has two attacks on her way out. She goes on your turn. Well, the first attack's a high eight. Uh, well, that guard got a high seven. That is a single net hit. Uh, how much damage is that? Uh, three damage. That's all right. And she's going to go again. All right. And then run away. You're uh, you're working against a nine high. One net hit for another right. three. <laughs> uh, so uh, following your lead, uh, Sugar runs forward and kind of bowls over the two guards that are on the ground that shot at Pops knocking them over, like trampling them a little bit. And then she comes flying out the gate alongside the van, followed by Sadie. And um, as you guys go zooming out of the gate, the one guard left on the ramparts uh, takes a couple pot shots uh, towards the van, shooting a little wide. And uh, the two guards who Sugar knocked over rush uh, and you see them like take a couple uh, futile shots in your direction. But the three of you are... Uh, too far on the horizon for them to have a clean shot and they don't seem to have any pursuit vehicles handy uh, and you break out of Liberty City and as you guys kind of crest over a hill putting the the city a little bit uh, a little bit out of vision Cyrus Finch you wake up some, <laughs> some uh, knocking uh, on the insides of the coffin as I bonk my head on the, the <laughs> lid of it I'm like oh Oh, my head. Uh, and uh, Cyrus, uh, you suffer the side effects of your feign death tonic, which are migraine, slowed reflexes, and disorientation. Oh, my head again. <laughs> <laughs>
Do I hear that uh, knock on the coffin? Yeah, he let out a shout. Juliet, you also hear the voice of your husband shout out for a moment and a, and a bonking sound from inside the <laughs> coffin. <laughs> oh, no. Mrs. Hunt, do you think you could uh, kindly check on the coffin in the back for me? I call over my shoulder as we're riding very, very hard out of, t- out of town. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, good, good thought. Um, and I will, uh, kind of hop down along the back and, and see if I can't get into the, into the back, make sure there's like, wasn't shot, no bullets or anything like that. Uh, trying to shake the weird momentary lapse of lucidity as I thought I heard my deceased husband. Yeah, you uh, swing down, climb in the back. Uh, a quick glance to the ceiling. Uh, it looks like the bullets didn't penetrate through the uh, the wood of the ceiling. Uh, the coffin is untouched, but it it might be rumbling of its own accord. It's hard to tell. It's the, the, the road is rough. And, uh, uh, Cyrus, what do you do? Oh, oh, pops. Hey, pops. Uh, Juliet, you hear that coming out of the coffin. Are we there yet? (laughs) (laughs) I will saddle up next to the top of the coffin and I will open it up. Cyrus, uh, the light of the day hits your eyes. Uh! And a form stands over you as you shield your eyes from the light and you manage to like blink <laughs> one of your eye into focus and you see a woman you don't recognize standing over you wearing Juliet's clothes and holding Juliet's guns. <laughs> You're not pops. I promise I can explain. Don't shoot. There's a reasonable explanation for all of this as soon as I can think of one. Uh. <laughs> As I say this, I will turn off the digital disguise and I will say, uh, you stupid, stupid man, you idiot. What did you do? (laughs) Reasonable explanation? Reasonable explanation? (laughs) (laughs) And the digital guy fades away and you're looking at the face of your wife, Juliet Hunt, angry, a little covered in blood and holding both of her hard caliber pistols. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to see this vision. (laughs) As I said, reasonable explanation as soon as I can think of it. Uh, Clayton, you see as Juliet has, you know, opened up the coffin, has yelled into the coffin, and then the previously lifeless body of Cyrus Finch sits up, rubbing his head. Uh, and I, uh, try to stand up in the hearse, and I hit my head on the roof, (laughs) and I fall back down. Clayton has a horrified look on his face as he (laughs) continues to follow the hearse, and he starts thinking real long and hard about... Needing a vacation. (laughs) I don't know what kind of mess I just got myself into. She just shot up the town guard and now it's raised the dead. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was going to, I was going to get up and I was, I was going to, you know, I was going to hug you and I was going to kiss you, but I hit my head again on the, (laughs) on the roof. So I'm just going to lie here. Maybe if you could come to me, that'd be great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh I will uh I'll I'll definitely hug him and kiss him and uh then give him a little smack on the face for being an idiot and then and then kiss him some more. <laughs> Clayton throws up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All Pops is hearing is a bunch of thumping and uh, and and rustling <laughs> in the back, and he calls through the little porthole. Are the two of you happy to see each other or not so happy? <laughs> hey, Pops, if the coffins are rocking, don't come a knocking. <laughs> We're fine, Cyrus. Uh, we're gonna have words in a minute, Padre. You, you and me, and you telling me that my husband was dead. So, oh, hey, uh, I'm not dead. Oh, thank you very much, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> you came. You're here. You found pops. This is great. This is perfect. Uh, pops, you, uh, you see like a nice little, uh, uh, woods to kind of pull the hearse into to kind of stop running for a moment and kind of hide out so that maybe you can clear the, <laughs> clear the air. Uh, hang on. And I reach behind my head for like the cushion I was on and I like, uh, like unzip the cushion and pull like a little black box out of it. And it's got like all these vials of tonics and I like root through it and like just something that some clear my head maybe. And I find like a one of my fake ones. It's like just lemonade or something. And I pop <laughs> the vial off of that. And I'm like, ooh, oh, that's the stuff. Mm. Gotta get your electrolytes. <laughs> yeah, Clayton, you're able to park the van behind the hearse and get out if you like. I get out real wary. And I got my rifle in my hand. <laughs> Juliet? Y- yeah, Clayton? What the hell's going on? I would like to know that myself. <laughs> This is uh, my husband, Mr. Cyrus Finch. Uh, pleased to meet you. It's very bright out there. <laughs> we can all we can all fit into the wagon for a little palaver, can't we? Uh, I ain't going nowhere with nobody until I figure out why I'm now an outlaw and why I, he ain't dead no more. I promise I'm worth it. <laughs> Are you some kind of witch? Uh, she's some kind of witch. Not helping the situation. Clayton, <laughs> it seems if I'm correct, that uh, in order to potentially escape, my husband has uh, completed one of what uh, I have referred to before as his uh, grifts. And he was only pretending to be dead. I'd say your wife knows her pretty well there, Mr. Finch. Ah, uh, yes. You know, uh, 15 years of marriage will do that. Uh, oh, now it's 15. Sure, why not? What? Yeah, it's always been 15. The documents say 15. <laughs> uh, the documents may say 15, but uh, your actions say five. Okay, I promise when you hear everything that's going on, you will understand that everything I have done has been for you. It's a long story, but this is family business, Juliet, and... I couldn't get you involved again. I think maybe we should, you know, let everybody in on the grift, Pops. Oh, sure, that makes sense. I wouldn't want uh, anything untoward to happen to you in this situation. This is something your your husband here was taken hostage, as I've mentioned before, by Mr. Peter O'Malley. The only way for us to get him out was for him to be dead in the first place. And so, uh, well... Somehow your husband convinced the family that he is a man of religion, and I've been meeting with him once a week to try and get him out of this situation. Truly some of my greatest work. <laughs> and a very, very difficult character to pull off. Hush now. Grown-ups are talking. <laughs> yes, honey. 
what about picking a fight with the guards? What was that all about? Uh, they were bought and paid for by the family. Uh, they were going to kill uh, Padre here. I can assure you they had no intention of letting us through that gate. Although uh, how they figured out that it was a grift is beyond me. I feel like we did a pretty decent job of getting you out of the city. Uh, something tells me that uh, Peter O'Malley didn't want my body leaving the city. Mm. He knows not to trust me, at least. But looks like the fake death thing has worked on him twice now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, Juliet, he still thinks you're dead. Uh, which I guess makes you my ace in the hole, if, you know, that's still something you're willing to do for me. Of course I am. Well, before the two of you are become actually dead rather than fake dead, maybe we had uh, better get a move on. They'll be scattering the vehicles any moment now, and uh, this hiding place is not exactly secure. Yeah, let's uh, let's get on the road. Uh our next stop, uh, Amber Springs, right? That's right. We're uh, we're headed to Amber Springs. All right. Uh, let me do this as short and sweet as possible. But while I was working for O'Malley in Liberty City, I managed to glean a little bit of information from my snooping around. So O'Malley, I don't know how much you know, but he's gotten into the drug trade recently, trading in pure luminescence. Uh, it's a he's got a new supply on Lucy. And he's in business with uh, this mayor in Constance Grove. Uh, and they are pulling uh, luminescence out of this mine, but they're pretending that it's pyrithium so no one else can make a run on it. So they're just shipping pyrithium into Constance Grove. But they have to keep the luminescence a secret so nobody uh, steps in on their business. And especially because the mayor of Constance Grove does not legally own the mine. Someone else does. And uh, here's the kicker. O'Malley has to deal with all of this stuff privately. So if we want to flush him out, and that, believe me, revenge on O'Malley is exactly what I want to do. I need to flush him out personally. And that means stepping to him where he has to deal with things personally. And hitting him where it hurts, that's his luminescence mine. And there's one way we can do that. We can find the real owner. The only snag is, she's a Valancourt. <laughs> but that's why I'm in this ridiculous suit, right? So I got this idea uh, where I come in uh, and, and I'm her, like her long lost uncle. I'm like I'm like a lord, and uh, and that's that's how we get in with her. Uh, she's uh, she's this young heiress. Uh, her name is. Uh, Ah, uh, what's her name? <laughs> uh, Eliza is, uh, I believe, the first name. Eliza, Eliza Valancourt. Yeah, uh, uh, sweetie, um, this all sounds great. Real, real nice job with the the planning. Uh, Clayton, do you do you want to tell him what happened? I swear he's plugged up all the holes in this plan. Trust me, I found a couple of them. <laughs> this script is airtight. <laughs> Nothing could possibly go wrong. What did did something happen? Yeah, I know her. <laughs> you what? We we know her. You mean I got this suit for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. You look you look great. You do look very handsome. Oh. But uh yeah, turns out uh as I was coming to save you, I was uh slowed on my progress, uh as Clayton and I and uh, a couple others uh needed to save her first. So uh we are very acquainted, actually. But if you want to do the Lord thing, you can. 
Uh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I, I heard he tried to kidnap her and it didn't work. That was you? <laughs> I mean, and Clayton and Badlands Pete and Roy. Badlands Pete? <laughs> 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 Juliet, Badlands Pete isn't real. No, he's real. <laughs> Very real. All right, so exactly what percentage are you pulling our legs here? 190, 50. Try zero. Well, that is awfully fortuitous. I knew this was a blessed mission. <laughs> All right, this pains me to say. Uh, Clayton, your name is? Yeah. Uh, but uh, you have improved on my grift. <laughs> Happy to help. Normally I charge a fee, but I think your wife's got that covered. What? You hired this guy? Well, we turned in our, our compatriot, Roy, for a bounty, and uh, I just gave him, like, most of it. Yeah, how much? How much was the how much was the bounty? How much did you give him? It was uh eight hundred spurs split two ways, and I gave you what an extra two hundred? Is that right? That's correct, and I know every single one. <laughs> Cy- Cyrus is just like his face is frozen in like an open mouth gape, is speechless. <laughs> uh, Juliet is smiling really big because she knows how much that will hurt him. <laughs> I'd hate to insert myself into a lover's financial quarrel, but uh, perhaps we should get on back, get get back on the road before uh, before we lose what I what I happen to think is a a very decent lead. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Good idea. You still want to take the wagon with you, right? Uh, As you look back towards the wagon pops, you see like a little puddle uh, underneath it. And when you kind of move to look from the side, you see one of the stray bullets hit Blinky and cut her fuel line. Uh, so uh, you only have one automaton horse now, the other one. <laughs> oh, sweet Blinky. Oh, well, I guess it's just me and Squeaky now. In that case, I suppose we'll have to be leaving my trusty wagon behind on this one. I just I just don't know if I should necessarily be driving. I got two left hands, and when I say that, I mean when I look at my left hand, I see two left hands. <laughs> <laughs> Being dead's not all it's cracked up to be. No, it is not. But uh, you ain't dead, so you are driving. <laughs> <sighs> yes, dear. All right, so uh, Juliet and Cyrus climb into Cyrus's van. Clayton, you're hopping up on sugar. Pops, you're riding on the back of your uh, horse. Yeah, I'll climb into that built-in saddle. All right. Uh, you, yeah, you climb up onto the automaton horse, cutting it free of the wagon. Uh, Sadie trots alongside uh, Sugar. They seem to be very good friends now. <laughs> and uh, we'll head over to, what was it called? Amber Springs? Amber Springs. And as I climb into Veronique for the first time in a long time and like lay my hands on the wheel and turn the key in the ignition, I, I'd say, oh, I've missed you. And then I turn to Juliet and I'm like, uh, th- that was to you. <laughs> uh, and then you guys begin heading uh, west. Uh, Amber Springs is the home of Eliza Valancourt. Uh, and it is about eight to ten days ride west, uh, depending on how, how fast you guys are going. Yeah, something occurs to you, uh, Pops, as you're, as you're kind of pulling out is at this point, you guys are a ways away from uh, Liberty City, but you can still kind of see it uh, from like the hills around you as you're going up and down. And uh, you think by now you would have heard uh, the sirens 
uh, that are usually uh, emanated from the guardhouse when something when an incident like this happens uh, to let you know people know that like that there's violence on hand and that they you know need to make room for the militia to to operate. But those sirens aren't going off, and uh, it's quite possible that whatever just happened at uh, gate number forty two is being kept quiet. Uh, and if you are being followed, it is not loudly or overtly. I'm also going to guide us through the garden to cover up our tracks and uh, maybe find a shortcut. Uh, yeah, Clayton, if you want to roll survival, you can try and uh, uh, find a subtle path and also cover your tracks. Uh, every hit you get will work as a negative penalty to anyone trying to track you. All right. Uh, three hits. Cool. Uh, so yeah, you uh, you take up the rear with uh, with sugar, and you kind of uh, have her stamp it out and and uh, uh, make dummy trails and so on to try and really muddy up the uh, information anyone can get from trying to track you. And uh, it is uh, a pretty long ride to the west, and uh, you guys can you know make some good headway, make up camp, make some good headway, make up camp, and uh, I'm sure there's at least some uh, catching up to be done. So let's go ahead and uh, do shoot the shit. My wife. (laughs) (laughs) Cyrus chooses Juliet. (laughs) Uh, What about everyone else? I'm going to leave the couple to catching up and stay away from that. Uh, (laughs) Pops. All right. Clayton is going to choose Pops. And uh, I'm a city boy and I've never seen a Nache in person, only in pictures. So I will choose Clayton to learn a little bit about sugar. And Juliet, who are you picking? I will choose Cyrus. Okay. Uh, so everyone go ahead and roll personality as an attribute only test. Uh, so who wants to go first? I'll go first. Why not? Okay. Uh, you chose Clayton. Uh, how many hits did you get? That was uh, one singular hit. All right. Uh, so that means Clayton gets to learn something about you. Uh, so it's the first night you set up camp. Uh, you got Veronique uh, parked nearby the the campfire, and uh, Sadie and Sugar have been uh, unsaddled. And um, Clayton is tending to both of them, uh, uh, feeding Sadie and brushing Sugar's mane. Are we uh, nearby a source of water? Uh, yeah. I'm going to use one of my cryo capsules, and uh, I'll just go ahead and toss that in there and make myself a... Uh... A 15-foot cube of ice. Just just drag that out of the water and start uh, cutting it with my with my ice saw. Yeah, uh, Clayton, you watch as Pops uh, goes uh, walking up to the uh, stream that you're nearby, pulls out a little, uh, uh, a little gray ball and just kind of casually tosses it in to the, to the stream and it free- instantly freezes the water into a giant block of ice. It actually disrupts the flow of the stream for a minute as it's trying to like go up on the shore to get around it. And then Pops just kind of like hooks a hook and a rope into the side and drags out the ice and then starts chipping it away. What you working on there, father? Oh, you you get to doing something for enough years and you really develop a preference for it. I, as much as possible, like my drinks to be uh, ice cold unless it's a nice, hot, strong cup of coffee. So I figured I'd make just a a couple of cool drinks of water for all of us. Uh, That sounds mighty lovely, especially after drinking Ache heated water. (laughs) I'll tell you, there's nothing after after a long ride such as this, there's nothing like it. I've been drinking icy water for most of my life. My mother was an ice cutter for uh, some of the more prominent folk in, in Liberty City. 
That's actually how I lost this finger, and I hold up my left hand, and you can see that my left index finger has been uh, severed. Oh. Yes, frostbite's a hell of a thing, my friend. He says, handing you a nice icy cup of water. I take a drink. Thank you very much. That's uh, nice, isn't it? It is very nice. And I'll uh, go ahead and pass a cup around to the other two as well, and maybe a a bowl for Miss Sugar as well. (laughs) Yeah, I drop drop, um, like a solid uh, carbon basically in there. So, like, I basically I carbonate it, I throw in a little like. (laughs) <laughs> like chalk and a catalyst and I, I carbonate it and I like go to Veronique and I pop open like the cabinet and get like some vodka <laughs> and uh, drop it in there. Thanks. Anybody else? None for me. Thank you. Uh, I'll take a little of the vodka. I like go to pour the bo- the pour in his drink and he just takes the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks uh, for uh, escorting me out of the city there. Why, thank you. And uh, Cyrus, you picked Juliet. So uh, uh, later that evening, as the camp is starting to settle down, uh, how many hits did you get? I got two hits. Uh, So Juliet, you get to learn something about your husband. Uh, I'm just kind of staring up at the night sky. I'll uh, come on over and sit down. You know, I haven't seen the stars in months. You want to talk about it? No. So let's talk about it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I got in over my head. You know how it goes for me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're safe, and that's what matters, but I don't know exactly what happened, and hopefully one day I'll find out, but I'm real, real glad you're okay, Cyrus. I was so worried. Couldn't shut up about it. That's how worried I was. (laughs) I wish I could say the same, but every time I tried to worry about you, uh, in my mind, you just shot everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know, I guess maybe that worries me. You haven't <laughs> shot too many people, have you? Well, depends on your definition of too many. <laughs> I only shot them that was going to shoot me, and... uh I didn't shoot anybody that you wouldn't have approved shooting. Uh, I gotta trust you on that, I guess. I didn't mean to leave. <laughs> you know, if I if I could have done anything else, I would have. But Jimmy was there, and I didn't want him to know where I lived, where you lived. Because they won't fight you fair, you know? I, d- I do know. But by running, you, you stopped me from helping you. And you took my guns, which, by the way... How dare you? <laughs> yeah, um, yes, I'm sorry about that. It, it's all right. I knew you wouldn't unless you were in trouble. It's how I knew. They look good on you. And Juliet, you picked Cyrus. Um, how many hits did you get? Three. So, yeah, the two of you bond. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> and we're leaving it at that? <laughs> I think so, yes. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I think. think all I do is uh, I... I Go over to Pops. Hey, remember what I said about uh, the coffin rocking? Oh, is that about to become relevant? Good night, Pops. <laughs> <laughs> and Juliet and Cyrus uh, spend the evening sleep sleeping in his in the van. <laughs> well, better fornicating than fighting, I always say. 
Pop says that to Clayton sitting uh, on the other side of the campfire. Uh, and Clayton, how many hits did you get for Pops? I uh, didn't get any hits. Ooh. So Clayton, something goes wrong between you and Pops that evening. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Sawyer, what uh, I assume that since you're being paid to be here, you're in a certain specific line of work, perhaps? Uh, Clayton takes another pull from the vodka bottle. Yep. And, uh, what line of work might that be? Bounty hunting. Bounty hunting. And Pops, said, uh, his ears perk up and hard to read look on his face, but may not be, uh, the most pleasant of looks. Now, what kind of bounty hunter are you? Are you the, uh, the type to bring him in alive or dead? Well, that all depends on the bounty, don't it? So, uh, if a bounty were to come in and say, dead were preferred, that's what you would lean towards? If that's what the bounty states, then sure. Essentially, you're a sport hunter for human beings. Sport implies it's for fun. I do it to make money. <laughs> I see. Oh, so if uh, the pay were high enough, you'd bring my head in then. I reckon that depends on how well we get along, don't it? You know, the verity of righteousness... Oh, hell. ...states that one should not kill another human being, or even an animal, any living creature, unless it's specifically for your own survival. Now, that can be interpreted fairly loosely, but to me, being paid for murder isn't the exactly the most righteous of actions. Wouldn't you agree? I don't disagree. I also don't care. Anybody could put a bounty out on anyone. If they pay high enough, you could be murdering uh, uh, an innocent child of Manifest. I ain't running too many child bounties. We're all children in the eyes of Alana. Well, uh, looks like Alana's children don't get along too well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have 700 spurs in my pocket. (laughs) I see. And, uh, Pops very awkwardly will avoid making eye contact with, uh, with Mr. Sawyer and spend the period of time it takes to finish his drink staring into the fire, and he will silently, uh, separate himself off from the camp, uh, shooting just one singular disapproving look over his shoulder as he does so. Clayton just has another sip from the bottle, <laughs> looks into the fire. And the evening passes without any other event. And during the journey west towards Amber Springs, you don't run afoul of any agents of O'Malley or agents of the law or uh, or even uh, beasts or critters. Uh, and, and at a certain point, you crest over a hill and you see the beautiful settlement of Amber Springs before you. And that's where we'll end our session. But before the episode ends completely, we wanted to address, of course, there was a little bit of subterfuge in that we kind of snuck Cyrus Finch as a player character into this episode halfway through. Uh, He is being played by Sean Four, and we do have a character intro for you to listen to. Additionally, we're going to wait a few days before we release Cyrus's art, specifically to preserve the surprise for any listeners who are not listening to it on the day of release. Uh, But before next week's episode, we will release that art, so keep an eye out for it. It's amazing. So we will leave this episode with Cyrus Finch's intro. Enjoy! Step right up, folks. Take a gander. Don't shove... 
You can call me Dr. Cyrus Finch, because that's the name on the medical license. I've got the miracle tonics you need to cure the ailments you don't, all available at a rate you can afford. Trust me, I've crossed every mile of manifest solving all manner of problems, from gangrene to gang wars. It's almost uncanny how I manage to find trouble every single place I go. But that's what I got my wife for. She's a real pistol, in more ways than one. Any problem I can't solve, she'll, well, she'll put a bullet in it. We're an unlikely pair, certainly, but we fell in love seeking a cure for that age-old plague of manifest. Drifterism. Maybe I'll even kick the habit myself one day. But until then, I got a two-for-one special on vials of Doc Cyrus's analeptic hoop snake oil elixir. For you, only five spurs. What do you say? This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.